Amen. Oh, God bless. Wow. Praise the Lord. We're glad you're all here. Did you find a place to park? Praise the Lord. <laughs> all right. All right. We're going to skip the worship. Like I said, Liz isn't, uh, you know, she's freezing from yesterday's spending, you know, uh, 10 hours, over 10 hours at, at the hospital with her mother. And so was I. But I got to walk around because, you know, um, I didn't speak Spanish. <laughs> you know? So praise God. Um, okay, that's it. If you have your Bibles out, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now I'm going to review a little bit. You know, last week it's so important. Paul's starting out this chapter. Romans is, is a deep book. You know, and I don't know if we're going to go all the way through it or not because, hey, so far I've been like four weeks on, on the first 16 verses, first 15 verses. I noticed over the years as I've been teaching that the, the depth of what I'm, I'm putting out is much deeper, even though I may have taught it five years ago. You know, it's just digging in and finding more truth and more beauty in the Word of God, you know, and it's just, just all, everything about it. But I just want to read the 16th through the 18th verse, and then uh, I'm going to recapitalize a little bit on the first chapter, because I don't know about you, when a week goes by, sometimes I don't even remember what I preached on, <laughs> you know, because I know, I know that the people are the same way, but you know what, like my pastor that disciple me told me 40-some years ago, he says, you want to remember, you got to review, you got to review, you got to review. And then when you're done reviewing, review some more. In other words, drive it home. Drive it home. I'm going to read the 16th, 17th, 18th verse, and I'm going to reiterate on the first uh, 15 verses so that you can review and drive it home what Paul is saying. Because what Paul is saying here is exactly where we are supposed to be. And I'm going to show you that as we move on. Here's the, first, the 16th verse. Paul Romans chapter 1, 16, 17, 18. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Let me give you the 19th verse. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Now, you know what Paul's saying right with that last verse, 19? You're without excuse. Look around the world. Look at the birds. Look at the fish. Look at the sky. Look at the trees. I remember years ago, I was living in Pennsylvania, and we used to come to Florida for, for uh, vacation, and I would take my son fishing, you know, out on a drift boat, and I'd catch this fish, and I'd go to the mate, the first mate, and say, what kind of fish is that? I never saw anything like that. He says, I've been on a boat for 15 years, and I, I don't know what kind of fish that is. I mean, come on. There's so much beauty. It's all, it's way hidden from us. You know, I have a feeling when we're dead and gone, this universe is going to light up like you've never seen before. You're going to see probably everything that God created, you know, the way it was originally intended. Beauty like you've never seen. I, I actually started a study a while ago called the, the Beauty of the Lord. And I didn't get very far on it because there's so much there. But someday I might teach on that. But I want to review these first 15 verses. Paul, in verses 1 through 13, he said he's a bondservant. He's called and he's separated. Okay? Paul is a bondservant. And I showed you that means a galley slave. You're chained to the oars in, in a sailboat. And you're rowing with oars. And you're chained to the Lord. He says, I'm a bondservant. He went, to the, he went to the doorpost and said, Hey, Lord, I'm going to serve you forever. And the Lord, you know, drove an all through his ear and put a gold ring in it. And he was a bondservant for life. And that's what I did and you should have did when you accepted Jesus as your Savior. You should have had that bond 
the servant ring in your ear because you chose to serve God all the days of your life. Not just this week or next week or for the first five years or just because God healed your mother and, uh, you know, ten years from now you forget about it. No, you, you made a decision. You're a bond servant. That's what Paul said. Paul says he's called. He's called to an office within the church. And each one of us has a calling on our life. Each one of us have been given a gift according to 1 Corinthians uh, 12 and, uh, thir- and 14. You've been given a gift by God. And you're to use that gift. You're called to use that gift. If you're a worship leader, worship lead, okay? If you're a teacher, teach. If you're a pastor, pastor. You know, and some people have more gifts. Some are pastors and musicians. You know, you can have many gifts. But what you were called to that position, use it. Find out what gift it is and put it to use. You, and Paul says, I'm separated. There's three stages Paul was separated from. At birth, at conversion, and at commission. At birth, he was separated for God. And I believe each one of us has already been separated from God. I believe that the book of life in heaven, the minute you are conceived in your mother's womb, your name, which God already knows, is written in that book. So you you are separated at birth. And you were called to be converted, to be born again into the kingdom of God. There's, you know, you were, you were, you were converted. When my change comes, you know, Job 14, 14 says this. It says, if a man dies, shall he live again? Yeah, when the change comes, you're born again. That's probably going to be my key passage, I think, at Janice's memorial next week. Okay, at conversion, you were born again. Paul was born again on the road to Damascus. He found out who Jesus was, and he said, I'm going to serve you. And three days later, Ananias showed up and commissioned him. And he was commissioned right there for what he was supposed to do for God. And you, too, have been commissioned. You have been called. You're a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and you have been separated for the gospel. You have been separated. These, these apply to all of us today who are believers, not just the Apostle Paul. Paul had three I am statements in the first, uh, four, four, uh, through verse 14 and through 16. Paul, Paul had three I am statements. He says, I am a debtor. And you know what? We're a debtor to God. Jesus died for us. He paid the price that none of us could pay. You could be a Sunday school teacher. You could go go to church every Sunday. You could take communion every day of the week, ten times a day, and that is not going to save you. What saves you is your faith in Jesus Christ, and we're going to see that as we move through this chapter. You're a debtor because you couldn't pay the price. Only Jesus could pay that price because our righteousness, Isaiah 64, 6, is as filthy rags before the Lord. You're a debtor. Whether you're wise, whether you're free, whether you're Italian, whether you're Greek, whether you're Spanish, you are a debtor to the Lord. And so is Paul. He said in his second I am statement, just like Jesus had the seven from the cross, I am ready to preach the gospel. You need to be ready to preach the gospel in season and out of season. You know what? If you can't preach the gospel, you say, I'm too shy, I can preach the gospel. You can tell them how you were born again, how you changed. You can give them your testimony. I said many times, Paul gave his testimony many times as you read through the book of Acts. He gave his testimony. Okay? And he says in the 16th verse, I am not ashamed. Why should we be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The gospel revives us. The gospel is the power of God. So it says right here, it's the power of God for salvation. If you don't use the gospel, you know, um, you're lacking power. (laughs) That's just all there is to it. That's why when I preach, I use lots of scriptures. I use lots of scriptures because scripture is able to judge between the bones, joints, and marrow, it's a double-edged sword. It cuts through. 
the gospel. You should not be ashamed. And if you are ashamed that you're a Christian, you will be, according to this verse, powerless. Or let me put it this way. You will have less power. So the whole idea is not to be ashamed of Jesus, and you will be a powerful soldier for Christ. A powerful soldier for Christ. So the application is here is so are we. You know, you're a debtor. I'm a debtor. You should be ready to preach the gospel. I should be ready to preach the gospel. You should not be not ashamed, and I should be not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God for salvation. You know, if I didn't use the gospel, my mother and dad would be not in heaven right now. That Because I used the gospel, you know, my mom and dad received it after years of witnessing to them especially my dad, not so much my mother. But I'm just saying, you know, it was the power of God. I didn't convert them. The Lord did. I remember my dad coming up to me. I was teaching him in John chapter chapter 2 down, down here at the, in, the, in Marathon Key where he had a place. And after I was done teaching him about the Lamb of God, he come up to me, how did you, how did you know so much? Because I read the Bible, Dad. I listen to sermons. I teach people. My dad was probably in his 70s, 60s, 70s then, you know. And, uh, you know, if I didn't use the gospel, my mom and dad wouldn't be in heaven right now. So that, that's a, whether you're Catholic, Protestant, whether you're Presbyterian, whether you're, you're uh, what can I say, Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran, you, you know, it's not your denomination it is the content of what you speak, which is, should be the Word of God, because that is where the power lies. The Word of God is piercing as far as division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of a man's heart. And he judged my thoughts and my intentions when I was a young man, and I found out I wasn't such a good guy after all. Then there was five P's we learned last week. You're not, why not be ashamed? Why? Here's why. Five P's. The gospel is prophetic. Jesus fulfilled 365 prophecies of the Old Testament, and he's not done yet. Of the Old New Testament, he's got more to fulfill, like the one that I quoted the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. That's a prophecy. It will happen. He said, it was going to, he said he was coming the first time. He came. He said he's coming the second time. He's going to come. No doubt about it. I just hope it's today. I can't wait to get out of here. I'd rather be transformed in the twinkling of an eye than suffer death. I would rather. I know, you know if you say no to that, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Listen. The gospel is prophetic. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life, but these scriptures are they that bear witness of me. Yeah, see that? Okay, number two, P's. It's provable. It is provable. Paul said, I declare it to be the son, I declare to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Listen, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there would be no Christianity today. It would be gone. There would be no such thing. But Jesus did rise from the dead, and all of the apostles died a martyr's death, except for John. You know, he was boiled in oil, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God delivered them, just like them, from the fire, to the point where they didn't even smell like smoke. And God raised Jesus from the dead because he's the resurrection of life. The gospel is personal. It's personal. I have a personal Savior. You know, you have a personal Savior. God speaks to you on your level. God speaks to me on my level. It's personable. By whom we all have received grace and apostleship, Paul's talking here. We've all received grace. We received God's riches at Christ's expense. They crossed it for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus paid the price. We get God's riches because we're going to be the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ someday. We just haven't seen him intimately yet. Okay, you know, you know, we we have 
a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, each one of us in our own way. We, you know, the gospel is powerful, as we just went through. It turns drug addicts into whole people. It turns perverted into pure. It turns sinners into sinless people. It turns the crooked, honest, the liar, truthful. That's what the Word of God does. And it goes on and on and on. What God, you know, can do because He is powerful. He is the kingdom, His is the power, and His is the glory forever. He is the only one that has the power to change you from bad to good, from, from uh, born of the flesh and then born in the Spirit. He's the only one that can do it. Plus, number five, the gospel is preachable. It's preachable to little kids. I've led some of my little kids, our, my children, to the Lord when they were little. And I led them to the Lord when they were teenagers. I'd like to lead them back to the Lord today. Which is a shame, because they were raised in the Christian church. America, the world, has so much to offer them, you know, that they forget about Jesus and, and go down the wrong path. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. People like you and me and those on the Internet, you, you know, this is your life. Jesus is your life. In Him you live and you move and you have your being in the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is preachable. The college grad can understand it. The intellect can understand it. They most likely don't because they think they're too intellectual. They'd rather go to science. You know what? We're finding out that science is a bunch of humbug right now with all the things that are going on out there in the, in the flu world. You know, they're just guessing at things. And they're doing things that are, are absolutely wrong. A college grad can know it. A five-year-old can know it. And, and a, a, an intellectual person can know it because the gospel is preachable. Because the work has already been done by Jesus. All we have to do is believe, which is a verb, so it carries weight with it. You're, at the, you're glued to him. You adhere to him, trust in him, rely on him. Some trust in chariots, some trust in Mercedes-Benz, but we should trust in the name of the Lord thy God. That's us. The gospel is simple. Just believe. So hard about that. So now you've got all these churches. You have to do this. You have to do that. You don't have to do nothing but believe. And believe means action. It doesn't mean, okay, I believe, and then you go off and become the same person you were a half hour before. No, you just believe, and by true belief, you will begin to do good things without, by accident. You'll just be doing good things because you don't want to do the bad things. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit lusts against the flesh, so that you don't do what you want to do, because the flesh likes to gravitate to that. Believe me, I, I know all about that, just like you do. So just believe it's prophetic, it's provable, it's personal, it's powerful, and it's preachable. You are a debtor. You should be, you know, you should be ready to preach the gospel. You should not be ashamed of the gospel because you are a bond servant. You are called, and you have been separated for God since the impregnation in your mother's womb when you were born. Whew. I'll tell you what. What, what a, a mighty God we have. That's all that in, in Romans 4. The 14 verses. And we got more coming up. There's seven benefits to your salvation that I wrote down here today. There's seven benefits. Here's one benefit. Number one, you're delivered from your enemies. I went over that last week, so I don't think we're going to go into that too deep tonight. I'm going to go on to, um, what is it? Did I do that last week? I don't think so. No. No, right? I didn't think so. Okay. Ah, that's what I did last week. Yeah, 14 reasons. Here's seven benefits to your salvation. So I am going to dig into it a little deeper. Deliverance from your enemies. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read from the 71st verse to the 79th verse. Okay? I want you to note as I go through it, I'm going to bring out some points. 
This is Zechariah prophesying when he has Jesus. He's dedicating Jesus to the Lord. Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated to the Lord when he was eight days old, where he was circumcised. Zechariah prophecies here. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption. Number one, look at that word redemption. We're going to touch on that later. 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that number, that salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate me. So number, in verse 71, we see salvation or deliverance. Verse 72, to show mercy towards the Father. That's number three, mercy and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, there's, there's deliverance again, might serve him without fear. In verse 75, we have in holiness and righteousness, holiness and righteousness kind of go together here, before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on across uh, before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. There's forgiveness and reconciliation there. Because of the tender mercy of God, with which the sun rise from all high fall of this fall high shall fall shall visit us i'm sorry to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the peace into peace so we got guidance and peace in verse 79 first of all i got to correct what i did i told you this was jesus this is john the baptist his father is uh, prophesying over john the baptist okay when he was when he was born when he began to speak. So I goofed up on that. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, hey, I'm still learning too. So anyway, deliverance from our enemy. So verse 71 and verse 74 talks about deliverance in this passage, that we should be saved or delivered from our enemies. And 1 John 5.18 says, and that the wicked one does not touch you. The wicked one doesn't touch you. Let's go there, 1 John uh, chapter 5 and verse 18. I want to read the whole verse. For we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. The evil one doesn't touch you, but you have to know it. You have to know the truth. You know, the truth will set you free, but it's the truth you know that will set you free. That's understood in that passage. If you don't know the truth, it's because you don't read your Bible. And if you read your Bible, the truth all through the Scriptures, the devil can't touch us. He can't touch us. Well, you say that John 10.10, 10, the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. That was before the cross. You realize that, right? After Jesus defeated him on the cross, he made an open spectacle of him, triumphing over him through the cross. So that was before the cross. So what did Jesus say before that? I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Okay? Of course you're going to have some rough times. Storms will turn up in everybody's life. It, the storm doesn't matter. It's how you come through the storm. Okay? So, number two, the benefit number two is you have mercy from God. Verse 72 in John the Baptist passage says, to perform the mercies promised to our fathers to perform the mercies promised to our fathers. And then Titus 5, 3, 5 says that he saved us, Jesus saved us, not by the works of our righteousness, but according to his mercy. 
mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Spirit. That's called born again. You're born again. You're renewed by the Holy Spirit. You know, He saved you, not by the works you do. So I don't care how many good works you do. You, you do good works because you love Him. Just like you'll, you'll do what mom and dad tell you because you love them. You might put up a little fight, but you'll do it eventually, hopefully. So it's not saved by the works you do. It's according to His mercy. God has had mercy on us. So now we got mercy from God. You can back that up with other scripture. You hear me say all the time, you know, you interpret scripture by scripture. So go to Ephesians uh, chapter uh, 2. I'm going to read a little bit further than you normally read, and a little bit short before what you normally read about verses 8 and 9. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with us, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that any man should boast. It's mercy. God had mercy on us, even though we were sinning against him. And he, he had mercy, and he came down here and redeemed us. Which is our next point. Redemption and justification is by faith. Galatians 3, verse 6 through 15. I'm going to read that for you. And it's mostly in, in the 6th verse, the 8th verse, and the uh, 11th and 13th verse. Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that in those who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham, you know, justified by faith. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. See, justification by faith. We are just before God by our faith in him. That's it. Just as you, just as if you never sinned. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. For many, as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide in all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law. You're not justified by keeping the Ten Commandments. You are now justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you try to be justified by obeying the Ten Commandments, let me remind you there are 613 commandments. And what Paul is saying here, you have to fulfill them all perfectly. But even if you could do that, which you can't, you can't even keep the Ten Commandments, you know, if you could obey those 613, do you realize you still have the original sin of Adam and Eve on you? Which needs to be, you need redemption from. So you aren't holy, church, <laughs> you know. Jesus makes us holy by his grace, by his redemption for justification in faith, that we have faith in him. Verse 11, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for the righteousness of man, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. Hear that? The law, the 613 commands in the Bible, are not of faith. Faith is in Jesus Christ, him crucified. You can't keep those 613 laws. It's impossible. 
And you, if you could, which you can't, as I mentioned earlier, you still have the original sin of Adam and Eve. And that would be like, what if I put one drop of urine in your clear bottle of water? Would you drink it? No, God won't drink it either. You won't get into heaven covered by or with one sin. You won't get into heaven if you, if you only sinned once. You get into heaven by grace through faith. God is not going to let that sin into heaven because it won't be pure anymore. It won't be pure. So number four, we have peace with God. We have peace with God. So turn to um, Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. I love this verse. I use it in fervent prayer a lot. Uh, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. We're talking Jews and Gentiles here, okay? Paul, God made two groups into one, Jews and Gentiles, okay? He made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Christ broke that wall down so Jews and Gentiles could get saved. The people living in darkness will see a great light, says Isaiah. You know, that's the Gentiles. They were living in darkness. But when the Messiah showed up, we'll see a great light, a great light, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. He himself is our peace, who has made peace both into one, and he's tore down that wall of separation by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So he established peace between Jew and Gentile, okay, by the by tearing down the wall in between, which was the, the Jews thought they were holier than thou, and the Gentiles, they were just, you know, pagans. And, you know, but God took the pagans, some of the pagans, and made them one with the believing Jews. And now we have a whole group that's made into one family, Jews and Gentiles. Or barbarians, uh, sometimes it's translated that way. So that's benefit number four. Number Number of benefits so far, we see deliverance from our enemies. If you're a believer and you're unashamed of God, you, you have deliverance from the enemies. You have mercy from God. You have, you have redemption or justification by faith. You have and also have peace with God. You also have peace with God. Romans 5 tells you this, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It says, simply put, right there, you know, you're justified by faith, and that gives you peace with God. So, you're delivered, you're delivered from the enemies, you have mercy from God, you have redemption, justification, you have peace. Number five, holiness and righteousness you have. Turn to Luke one seventy-five. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We have holiness and righteousness. Ephesians 4, 24. Turn there. And put on the new self which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You have been made holy and righteous. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you have been made holy. You, you were just as if you never sinned. You were holy. Your flesh sins, but your spirit man is saved 100%. You have a triune being. You know that. May the Lord sanctify you. May the Lord sanctify you completely, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete until the coming of Christ. When you were born again, you were born of the spirit, and the spirit man, which was dead, came to life. And now you're saved, you're going to heaven, your spirit's going to heaven because you are sinless in the spirit's man, in the spirit man. The soul man's the one that fights against the spirit. 
uh, you know, I've quoted the verse. I think it's Galatians 5, uh, 17 or 13. It's either one. He said, the lust of the flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit wars against the flesh so that you don't do what you want to do. So every time you sin, the Holy Spirit's there saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But we do it anyhow sometimes. But you're still, the Holy Spirit is, is trying to get control of the body, but too many of us let the soul man run with it and let the spirit man take the back seat. No, the spirit man is supposed to be in the front seat. You're supposed to be spiritual. Your spirit man should be leading your flesh. And that doesn't always happen. Believe me, I know. And I know you do, too. Listen. We are holy because of what Jesus did. We are justified by faith. We are made righteous. I always tell you, there's, there's three imputations in Scripture. Adam's sin was imputed upon all mankind. All, all, all Jesus' uh, righteousness was imputed to men. All our unrighteousness was imputed to Jesus. So we're unrighteous. Our unrighteousness in faith is imputed to Jesus. And when, when we believe in Jesus, he imputes his righteousness to us, and we become holy. Praise God. Otherwise, you wouldn't get into the kingdom of heaven. Your spirit, man, is going, going to heaven. And, you know, you're going to return with the Lord at the rapture. Let's, I'll read that verse just so you know. 1 Thessalonians or chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. I love it. 14th verse, 13th verse. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Okay, you're talking about, Paul's talking about death here, those that have died that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, listen to this, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So when the rapture comes, Jesus is going to snatch us up from the earth, and we're going to be reunited with if the, those that are dead their 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 soul their flesh is going to be reunited with their spirit man but they are already alive so when you pass away you know you are alive jesus said i'm the resurrection of life though you were dead yet shall you live how can that be well because you're alive your spirit man's alive and when he comes back for the rapture he's going to bring with those who have fallen asleep and then their bodies are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain, our spirit and our body will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye, and we will be, you know, in heaven with the Lord. It's this is cool, man. This is this is this is not a fairy tale. This is not a fairy tale. The scriptures are not fairy tales. They're not stories. They're truths. I tell everybody that they're true truth. They are not stories. Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Jesus even verified it. He said, as Jonah, excuse me, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so will I be in the heart of the earth, which was fulfilled at the resurrection, which we call Easter Sunday. Listen, oh boy, to be a Christian is exciting. I had a Jewish guy one time, he said to me, being a Jew is expensive. <laughs> I have to buy my seat in the synagogue. Hey, how much do you make to do a wedding? He says, I said, I don't charge anything. He says, well, they charge like five, $6,000 if you want to get married. I'm there like, it is expensive to be a Jew. You know what? Jesus gave it all to us for nothing. It's totally free. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the, and now you might add the free gift of God, because a gift is free. You know that, right? Gift is free. You don't have to do nothing for it. You don't have to give blood to get a movie ticket. <laughs> Just go over there and say, if it's free, give it to me. You don't have to give your blood. That, they, they don't, they, the Americans just don't know what the word free means. And so what they do, they bring up 
in, in, in the religious circle, they bring up free and it's something attached to it. No, there's nothing attached to it. Salvation is free for those who believe. Simple. Doesn't mean you have to be a Sunday school teacher for 30 years. It means that you believe and you're free. You know, it's free and you're going to heaven. Jesus paid the price. For you to say, I need to do all this, is to say, Jesus, your work wasn't good enough. I have to help you. And you can't help God. He did it all. All. How many, how many know what all means? He did everything. Everything. It's done. Number six, reconciliation to God. We're reconciled to God. By the remission of our sins, Colossians 1.20. Colossians 1.20. I love the book of Colossians. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having, having made peace through the blood of the cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. Not through you or what you did. Your job is to try to obey God because you love him. Not because you're forced to with your arm behind your back. If you don't if you don't serve me, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna strike you down with lightning. That ain't God. That isn't God. I mentioned it Sunday. People, God is a God of love and mercy and grace. That is his original nature. He instituted the law because the Jews didn't obey him. And he was trying to say, hey, listen, if you don't obey, I'm going to put you in the corner over here. And you're going to, be, you're going to receive a, a circumstance. There's going to be your circumstances may change because of it. And then when Jesus showed up, it went back to God's original nature, grace and mercy. So that is his, that is his, that's, that's God's true nature. There's like 2,600 years here where God was, you know, showed all grace and mercy. The only time he didn't was like the 1,400 years during the law until Jesus came. So God's original nature is grace. God didn't send the hurricane that ripped the roof off of your house. That is a consequence of man's sin. We fell in the garden. God didn't do it. It's just when the earth went on, went on its axis, it, it formed seasons to take place. Otherwise, the earth was tropical if you study the book of Genesis. During Genesis, the, you know, God obviously moved the axis probably through meteors that hit the earth, which are all around the world today. Some of them are 10 miles, 12 miles wide. It could have knocked the earth on its 23 degrees, 23 and a half degrees axis, and then all the waters receded to the north and south pole and froze. And then now we have seasons. So what ripped the, what ripped the roof off of your house? The consequence of our sin rip the roof off of your house. Not God. He didn't say, oh, I don't like you, so I'm going to have it knocked on your house. No. No, it's our fault. Put the blame where it really belongs. We are sinners. We fell short of the glory of God, and this world is messed up because of me. Me, not God. That was not him at all. By him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth, whether things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of the cross. That's why Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. When a king rides on his donkey through his city, he is, he is bringing peace to the city. But if he's riding on a white stallion, he's at war. Jesus came in peace to men. Riding on a donkey. And we crucified him. Because the people were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Second Corinthians, reconciled to God. The Second Corinthians is just a beautiful book, especially uh, chapter 5. First Corinthians. Chapter 5, 
first Corinthians. I try to highlight mark these verses, but if you know, so that I I spend less time looking for them. First Corinthians chapter five, and we're going down to the fourteenth verse. Huh? Yeah, it is Second Corinthians. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter five. Verses 14 through 21. This is just a beautiful chapter. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. See, we were born again. We live now for Jesus. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Now all things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through the cross, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ. Listen. God was in Christ. He's the Son of God, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. Therefore, we are ambassadors of, for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And that's what I'm begging you out there. If you don't know, you need to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the, here's the impartation of what I gave you, the three impartations. Here's the last one. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because he took our sins on the cross we can become righteous in Him. He, his righteousness is imputed to us because our sin was imputed to Him on the cross. Man, what a great God we have. We have been reconciled to God through Christ and Christ alone, not through you giving a million dollars to the church. You aren't going to be saved by that. I know a man that gave $5 million to a church, his church, that he never stepped a foot into, but he was of that religion. He gave $5 million when he died. It didn't get him into heaven. As far as I know, this guy was, no, he, he wasn't a nice guy. He was foul, foul, foul. But I hope he's in heaven. I hope some preacher came to him and preached the gospel and he said yes to Jesus. I hope so. Because I used to pray for him. Because I'd be out there working for um, his adopted son, uh, oh, probably several times a month per year. Number seven, light and guide us. And we're going to end it here. Luke 171, verse 79 says, to give light to those who sit in darkness. Jesus, we know, according to Matthew, he is the light of the world, chapter 5. First John says this, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. So, we're going to end it there, because we get into the 17th verse. It's all about, you know, faith to faith. We're going to show you, you know, that faith alone in Christ and His resurrection is what saves you, not you. So, the seven benefits of of your salvation is number one, deliverance from your enemies. Number two, mercy from God. Number three, justification by faith, just as if you never sinned. Okay, peace with God, because Jesus brought peace into Jerusalem. He brought peace into mankind. When he was born, what was the angel saying? Peace of to men of goodwill? Peace. He came in peace to a world that hated him. And we proved our hate when we crucified him and beat him, and mocked him, and spit on him, and punched him in the face, 
and crowned him with thorns, nailed him to a cross to die, and shoved a spear in his side, which pierced the very heart of God. That's what that spear was all about. Our sin pierced the very heart of Almighty God as he hung on that cross. And, there, and, his, and, his, and he tore that curtain in the temple from top to bottom wide open so anyone who would believe, whether you're Jew, Gentile, black, white, yellow, green, purple, you have one eye in the middle of your forehead, he, you, he saved you if you believe. Deliverance from the enemy, mercy from God, justification by faith, peace with God, holiness and righteousness. You are righteous. Just, just, he who knew no sin became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Wow, praise God, because I'm a sinner. I've been made righteous by my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who hung on that cross. Number six, you've been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus, and you will bring. So as Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he said, you are lights in the world. Just like the sun, which is the power and the light, lights the moon and reflection, we, we, the light, Jesus is the light, and we reflect the light of Christ to the world. We're not the light. We reflect the light to the world, and hopefully they will find Jesus. Oh, what a lost world we live in. We're not doing very well. That's why we need to wake up. Wake up. Anyway, let's pray. Any of you out there don't know Jesus, just fall on your knees and cry out to God with your whole heart and say, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus came and died and was buried for me, and I believe he rose the third day. And now Christmas and Easter will have a new meaning for you. It'll have a new meaning. It's the day the Messiah came. And Easter is the day the Messiah was was risen from the grave after being crucified three days earlier. Nobody can shut up the gospel. Even COVID isn't going to hold back the monies to get the gospel around the world because the gates of hell will not stand firm against the, 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 the kingdom of God. The gates of hell will not stop the gospel because it's not going to stop God's people who love him and serve him and are born again and are unashamed of Jesus Christ. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray the people here, they understand, they bow their heart before you, and they give their life to you, and now they serve you all the days of your life. They're a bond servant of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. I'll talk to you next week, and I love you all. And tune in next week, 7.15, Sunday at 10 a.m. for those online. God bless you.